Hey guys, welcome to episode three. As we said before, this season we're doing things a little different by exploring a specific topic per week. So this week we decided that we would just talk together, me and Britt, about a topic that we are very strongly opinionated on. And it's something that if you are a media relations professional who sends weekly pitch emails, then this is extremely important for you to think about, which is the art of the follow-up. How do you feel about follow-ups, Britt? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, follow-ups. So we've actually asked a lot of the inner, I mean, a lot of the reporters and the journalists that we've had on the show about this question, how often they like to be followed up with, how do they like to be followed up with, and they're also very opinionated about it too. There's a lot of different, you know, strategies and feelings details uh, associated details with follow-ups i don't think you and i both agree that there's no like right or wrong way to do anything and there's no such thing as like a template in pr you really like there's certain things that you can i guess template like you can have a format but you can't necessarily have the same email going out as your follow-up each and every time exactly for many different reasons exactly and so thinking about that I was like how can we produce an episode about this topic without giving totally prescriptive advice and boring templated emails so I kind of wanted to talk about three specific aspects of the follow-up in which you can consider next time you're crafting a follow-up and then Yeah. What do you think about that, Britt? Do you want me to tell you what they are? (laughs) Yeah, go for it. I love it. So we will talk about the frequency of your emails. So how often you should follow up. Um, Secondly, I want to talk about duration between emails, meaning how much time do you give between the first email and the follow-up, which I had one opinion about a year ago, and since COVID times, I have a totally different opinion on this. So I'm actually pretty excited to kind of tell you guys what I think and let me know if you've seen anything uh, similar or different and yada yada. And third, I want to talk about specific messaging, which Britt and I have both agreed that no two follow-ups should look exactly alike and we can go into what that means and how your strategy can really play into the messaging of your follow-up. So without further ado, let's get started. Yeah, let's dive in. Let's dive into that first section. All right. So frequency of your emails. Um, Before we started doing this podcast, how often were you following up, Britt? Before we did this podcast, I would follow up, honestly, sometimes 48 hours to the day that the email was sent, typically. However, there's even before the pandemic started, I tend to try to pay attention to, um, I kind of just feel like your follow-up schedule can look different depending on the publication you're trying to get your story in or depending on the world or the industry that that reporter writes about. And you got to keep a pulse on what's going on in their beat. Because if a timely news story can break, and this is kind of getting into the weeds and the nitty gritty, that's okay. But if a timely news story breaks, it's likely not a good time to follow up with them because they're not going to care. Okay, I'm glad you actually brought this up because I've noticed a lot more of this um, in the last year. And as you know, 
2020 was absolutely insane. And if you're working in media, then you're no stranger to that. It was probably even more insane because you found yourself on certain weeks wondering if it was even appropriate to reach out to certain people. I witnessed this for the first time. I had a lot of responses from journalists that were essentially, yes, but not yet. Please follow up a week or two from now. I am swamped. In fact, I actually put it in my, I looked at my calendar this week and Tuesday I wrote a note to follow up with somebody that had told me to follow up with them in a month, which is crazy. Yes. She's like, I am so bogged down. Can you please, I want to explore this. It was a um, data project. I want to explore this, but I really cannot look at this for another month. I think she's a freelancer, but still, I mean, like, that's crazy. Uh, That kind of reminds me, Britt, I was working with a consumer reporter, I think late in the summer, and she was a no-show for an interview with my client. And I thought that was kind of odd. I've never had a reporter do that. But she reached out to me about an hour after that interview to let me know that she had been pulled into a local breaking news story and that she unfortunately had to run and take care of that really quickly. And she apologized. But I think it just kind of demonstrates that now more than ever, we need to be thinking about where we sit within the breaking news cycle. And what I mean by that is maybe if it was a slow news day or slow slow news week in that industry, uh, you can follow up within three days. But oftentimes nowadays, I'm finding that I'm waiting as long as a week to follow up just because I feel like if somebody's bogged down for one week, they're not going to have plans on adding new stories to their assignments for another week. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially if it's not like you said breaking news. We got to be um, realistic. Many of the <laughs> yeah, many of the stories that I'm promoting, they're not necessarily attached to a timely news story. But let's say hypothetically, if it was, do you think that it's worth following up though within 48 hours, or do you change your approach? Still? I think it's absolutely worth following up within 48 hours, as long as it is directly relevant to current events. Agreed. Yeah, as long as and as long as it seems like that's what, of course, what they're writing about, what their beat is, and it's going to be if they cover it, it's going to add to the story that's trending. Exactly. Or, you know, provide a new perspective. So, yeah, on the same page there. Okay, so we talked a little bit about duration. How about frequency? Yeah, let's move into the frequency part of it. So before the podcast, I would follow up a minimum of two times (laughs) and possibly three depending on what it was because I was thirsty. And I can't say looking back that since – not doing that. And since only following up once, I can't say that like I've gotten fewer placements as a result. In fact, I feel like I've been able to have better relationships with my contacts because I'm not so annoying. (laughs) And I feel like, (laughs) you know, I don't know. I'm kind of thinking in their shoes. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's a few people. Let's say there's probably two or three people I probably followed up with way too many times they're probably less likely to work with me when I do have something they want because I'm so damn annoying. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So let's see. Early on in my career, can I just share like what my approach was? Yes. I want to hear it. (laughs) 
similarly, early on in my career, I was thirsty. And I don't I don't think I was necessarily <laughs> thirsty. It was more of like I had somebody breathing down my back. You had pressure. I had a manager to perform. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Who was and we were counting. Doesn't having a manager suck? <laughs> <laughs> we were counting um you know, how many emails I was sending out in a day and what my response rate was. And I still have like terrible flashbacks of that time. Um, (laughs) And I loved my manager. I just didn't necessarily agree that every pitch was the same. And I, I still hesitate to respond to any questions that are like, what's your response rate? And how many emails do you send out for each campaign? Because I honestly just try to send out as many as I can. I set like maybe a certain number of hours, but when you tailor your pitches, it's hard to say how many, and depending on the campaign that you're promoting, depending upon how many angles there are and how many um, people there are to contact, it's going to change how many emails you send out. If it's like in an industry that's very niche, I'm not going to send out nearly as many emails if it's for a story that's more of a national, has more of a national focus. But anyway, Amen, sister. So um, in the beginning of my time, as uh, I guess you could say I was an outreach specialist, I was thirsty. I would follow up at least two times as well, sometimes three, yes, over the course of two to three weeks. So not necessarily back to back. Now I only follow up once, really. Yeah, I only follow up once. I haven't, I can't even think of the last time I followed up twice. And I think that also speaks to just how quickly the news cycle is moving. Um, Mm -hmm. When I feel like a campaign is no longer relevant, I just drop it. Uh, Or like (laughs) I think about how – and we can talk more about this in the messaging. I think about how I can add a new angle to it and provide more value. That's how I approach and that's what makes my follow-up strategy different is – I don't follow up just to follow up like I used to when I started out in my career 10 years ago. Um, I follow up if I can add value and I don't follow up if I can't. That's great. And then all rules are meant to be broken. I was thinking about this before the episode. I'm like, in what world would I follow up more than once? Because I think there are times in which it is appropriate. One, I would say if you have a close relationship with a journalist and I mean you guys are tight and you've worked with each other multiple times and you're pretty certain that you're confused why they didn't respond or they're just possibly super busy and you just want to make sure they saw it maybe do a second follow-up and if so make it very polite and professional as Trey Bodge said be friendly but just because you're friends doesn't mean you drop the professionalism Um, and just make it short and sweet and then if they don't respond just read it as a sign that it wasn't meant to be this time around and move on. Um, The only other time I would say maybe following up a second time, and it's for those of you who are creepy like me and you like to track email opens with a software, which I do. Shout out to Mixmax. That's what I use. I'd say every once in a while, if you see a journalist is opening your email like, I don't know, eight times and you're almost certain it's because it's perfect for them. Make sure it's perfect for them. <laughs> uh, you know, because it could be they're pissed off that you wrote an irrelevant email to them. So just double check. And if it seems like it's quite possible that they're interested in your story, it can't hurt to do that sec- second follow-up. But again, make it short, sweet, and professional, and then move on if you don't hear back. But yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. I mean, it's very straightforward, but... 
Oh, and then one PSA, don't ever not follow up. I remember the first time back in the day, a little after you were getting your emails counted, Brit, I'm sure, (laughs) by that same manager, um, I was first starting out and I wasn't getting any responses for my first campaign. And I was likely on week three panicking in my little seat. And I asked my manager, like, I don't understand. All my emails are really well written and I cater each one to the person I write it to. What's going on? And they asked me, did you write any follow-ups? And I was like, oh, no. (laughs) I didn't know that I was supposed to do that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I wrote a follow-up that is very much akin to short and not very mindful. (laughs) Admittedly, I think I just wrote like, hi, I just wanted to follow up. Thanks. And then I just copied and pasted it to all the a million emails that I had written. Not a million. It was (laughs) a lot less back then. But anyway, that's when I started getting a lot of no thank yous. But I realized like, oh, okay, there's something to this. Like just because I'm not getting a response the first time, doesn't mean that it's not worth it. And I'd say in recent experience, especially now, uh, we talked about duration a little earlier about how journalists are pretty swamped these days and they're requesting to be followed up a little later than maybe years previous. Keep that in mind that a follow-up is actually very welcomed because it is quite possible that the answer is maybe, but not right now. So don't be an idiot and not follow up. I don't know anyone who doesn't do that, but if you do stop it and start doing it. Yeah, that's a really (laughs) good point, Jackie. I'm so glad you mentioned that, that it's always worth following up. Always, unless you look back and you realize that they were literally the wrong person. But I will say, I've been pleasantly surprised in the past. Sometimes the people that you don't expect to respond end up responding for whatever reason. Have you found that to be the case with you, Britt? Mm -hmm. Sometimes I've had people come back to me and say, so-and-so might be a better fit. And I'm a little embarrassed because maybe I'm like, maybe I didn't contact the right person, right? That's what that says. But it also speaks to the fact of how it's important to follow up. And reporters understand. Like if you're a little off with your targeting, they understand. And if your email is, they can tell you didn't spam and jam, um, (laughs) they're going to point you in the direction of somebody who, who is who would care to write about that story. Yeah, I love that. And um, yeah, to your point, Britt, you might have gotten the outlet right if they thought about their colleague and they obviously saw something in your pitch. So definitely nothing wrong there. One last thing I want to say about um, follow-ups and relevancy to the person that you're pitching, yada, yada. My previous colleague of mine who works at Lending Tree, uh, his name is Nelson Garcia. Shout out. He is an amazing publicist. He gave me some like random advice that I don't even think he meant to give as advice. He was just kind of mentioning his approach and I thought it was brilliant, really well stated and might seem obvious, but I loved it. He basically said, I don't know, I just I just pitch whoever I think might be interested in seeing the information. And that blew my mind because I think a lot of times we find ourselves like especially if you're really keen on targeting and making sure you're not trying to spam random people, that you're keen on maybe keeping your media list a little on the slim side because you're afraid that maybe so-and-so is not quite the right fit. But you just never know sometimes. Like 
don't be afraid to send that email. And if there's any bit of relevancy, then, you know, in Britt's case, they actually helped you out with the once you followed up. So that's my side PSA there. I have a lot of PSAs this episode, I guess. (laughs) That's what we need. I need to hear a PSA today. (laughs) Okay, go ahead. (laughs) Um, Okay, so this is great. I think you've shared everything that you wanted to share regarding frequency. Do you want to move on to the I sure have. You have about messaging? I do. Um, Let's talk messaging. You mentioned about adding value to your follow-ups, and I want to add to that. And I'm curious to hear your strategy, too. Um, But I totally agree. I found that with certain campaigns, for instance, I'm working with one client where they're putting out an annual data report. And as you can imagine, there's so much to unpack, way too much to distill in a pitch. And so one of the things that I've played around with, and I think I actually borrowed the strategy from you, Britt, so you might be better suited to even take it further once I'm done, but... Um, the having some information in the first email as much as you can fit in reasonably and then having some additional information in the follow-up. I would say put your must-know information in the initial and then any nice-to-haves in the follow-up. And so what I mean by that is, let's say you've got a press release, putting that at the bottom of your initial email. And then let's say with the follow-up, you add a little commentary from your CEO or whoever is available for interviews. And it just kind of shows that you're, that you've got a lot to offer and that your follow-up isn't just wasted space and air, that you have quality to that follow-up, which I think does take you far. It's kind of the same concept of when a journalist takes the time to reach out to you even though they're not interested, but they do it because they know that you're trying and that you care. That's kind of the idea there. But um, yeah, what what's up with your follow-up strategy in terms of adding value? Yeah, um, exactly that. So thinking about what didn't I share in the previous email that would be useful for them to know or to potentially, you know, take and include in a story that they could write up on the topic or the pitch or, you know, whatever it is that I'm pitching to them. So Mm -hmm. I can just kind of list off what I might, what I'm, this is kind of like my list of things that I consider when I'm posing, when I'm about to write a follow-up to a journalist. Of course, ask if they have any questions about what you sent over. Really easy way to just add more value. And another one is to let them know, another simple way is to let them know who is available for interviews if they have additional questions. Of course, make sure that it's an expert on the topic and that it makes sense for them to, you know, to be interviewed. Make sure if it's a research study that they are also very briefed on what was put out there and that they don't go into inter- into the interview blindly. <laughs> So uh, also another thing is to suggest a new angle. Make sure, of course, that angle is still relevant to what they write about. So if it's a large data study, I know we keep referring to that, but it's just a good example in this instance. If it's a large data study and there's an angle that you didn't previously suggest, maybe because it wasn't timely, feel free to go back into there and be like, oh, I just thought of another angle that might be Help might be of interest to you. That's okay. If you if it's a new angle that you didn't mention previous previously, it means that you're doing your homework, and you truly care about giving them a story that's going to be timely 
and of interest to their audiences. Would you agree, Jackie? I would agree, Britt. Although I guess I would never disagree with you on this podcast. <laughs> I, we disagree. I legitimately agree. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> Jackie, going back to the first way to add value in which you just simply ask them if they have any questions, you had this genius idea last week to answer the questions that they might have that you might have overlooked. And maybe you can go into more details on that. I think you know what I'm talking about. So what Britt's referring to is, you know, we actually go out and pitch guests for the show. Um, We are not big enough yet to get journalists begging to come on our show yet, if ever. But um, we were talking about how to approach the follow-up. And I had the thought about well, what are the reasons why we get rejected to be on the podcast? And usually it's around not having the confidence in being a great guest. And number two is lacking proper equipment. And then I believe number three would be like timing and time. So basically think about a journalist putting yourself in their shoes. Let's say you're working really long hours you don't have a podcast mic and you're not necessarily experienced with podcasting, then the idea of getting on a show like this might feel terrifying to you and therefore you might not respond to the email at all. And so my thought with Brit and what I came up with is why don't in our follow-up, instead of asking if they have questions, why don't we just kind of answer those like insecurities they might have about coming on the show to begin with? And so basically we went into how it's not a very long time commitment about how iPhone ear pods work just fine. Are they called ear pods? <laughs> ear pods, I think. No. Ear pods. I don't know. Okay. Well, it doesn't matter. You guys get the idea. Um, How regular headphones with a mic works just fine. And about how we try to make the podcast as lighthearted and fun as possible. There's basically, like we we say, it's like a no-pressure environment. So yada, yada. That actually worked really great. Right, Britt? Mm -hmm. I was kind of shocked at how many responses we got with people agreeing to be on the podcast, which... Yeah, I guess, spoiler, we've got a great lineup. I know we say it every season, but I really believe it for season three. We've got some interesting industries that we're going to cover that we've never (laughs) even worked in, Yeah, which is pretty cool. But yeah, I don't know. What were your thoughts on that, Britt? Did that teach you anything? Yes, it did. (laughs) It actually taught me like a new way to follow up because I never have thought about what questions they might have and how I can answer them without making them think you know, even respond if they have to questions. Me. Yeah. So I love that. And I thought it was worth mentioning, just kind of expanding upon offering up additional commentary. If the client that you represent isn't necessarily the best expert, or if you've already pitched them to be a source for an additional interview, or you've already given them commentary, think about other expert sources that are in your network that you might be able to contact if they want another opinion coming from an expert in a relevant industry or the same industry. I've used that for just to give an example. Um, One of my clients, we put out a study on returning to the workplace during COVID-19. And it's for a company that doesn't necessarily do HR, but it's a very HR heavy topic, right? 
So when I followed up with the reporter, I said, I also have a gentleman who is an HR expert who's happy to come on to the show and be interviewed and has been on X, Y, and Z outlets before as well for live interviews. So he has the experience. Um, and that lets the reporter know that you're you're helping them do their job. And it's also just giving them more content to consider if they want to cover your story too. Oh, that actually reminds me. I was, I've been working on this campaign with a client and it's all around like a money saving angle. And I pitched a bunch of consumer reporters and a couple got back to me. A couple of consumer reporters got back to me in separate emails, I should say. They're not a couple. Uh, both <laughs> asking f- both asking for the same thing. Um, they wanted to have a human element to their story, and they wanted to talk to our customers, which, believe it or not, I had not encountered before. And I worked with the client to actually get real consumers for the stories. Now, I took that as a signal that with all my future follow-ups with my consumers, and this kind of ties into our podcast follow-ups as well, I thought about this. It is quite possible that other journalists are ignoring my pitch because they want more of a consumer element story and they don't have the time, A, to find those consumers, or B, to even ask us for the consumers directly. So once I had gotten word from those two journalists that that's what they wanted, what did I do? All my other follow-ups to the rest of those consumer reporters, I made sure to include in that follow-up that I could provide consumer stories and consumers to interview should they need it for their segment. And so I think it kind of goes into the level of critical thinking that it is that is required in PR that I think a lot of PRs kind of ignore. And it's the idea of like reading into how a journalist responds and trying to interpret what the message is behind there. I think that can really take your strategy far. So smart. So smart. <laughs> so it reminds me too of our conversation with Noah in episode one of season one where mm. um, him his work with Mallory, they – used a lot of stories from patients at the hospital that she worked for. Yes. It's overlooked. I know a lot of clients have, you know, case studies on their website. When you have a new client or when you're working with a new client, maybe think to ask them more about those case studies and if those people would be willing to be contacted for an interview. Yeah. You'd be surprised, especially with local news. Um, when we were reaching out to the consumers, we let them know like, hey, uh, so-and-so from Fox 14, I made that up, uh, is looking for consumers. And I think that element of being on TV was pretty exciting for the customers. I was kind of surprised because I feel like to talk about a purchase you made or a financial move you made would be kind of like too personal to put on television but a lot of people were pretty into it so don't discount that um, if you have that ability to do so with the company that you're representing that's really good advice now (sighs) yes the final way that I think of how to add more value to my follow-ups is um, before we launch any campaign I try to think of what sort of supporting visualizations can we use to not necessarily publish when we publish the original content piece, but that we can keep on tap as either an exclusive to the reporter that you're pitching. Now remember to make Mm. sure that 
you are truly giving it to that journalist and that journalist only if you use the word exclusive (laughs) Um, Hmm. or, you know, just a folder of different visual assets that they can consider including. I don't always recommend, you know, starting with the exclusive. I would recommend keeping that in your back pocket in case you need to do to use that in a follow-up, maybe with a very top-tier outlet such as the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal. But simply just having a Dropbox folder of other assets, visualizations, whether it's charts or graphics to help explain the story or stock imagery that they can use. Of course, always provide info on how they should credit the photos. That goes a long way. Ah, Great advice. I love that. That's my list. I love that list. Cool. Should we end this episode? I think this episode is over. Um... I love follow-ups. I believe they're the art of the follow-up is just as important as the art of the initial pitch. So please don't discount it. And I guess we didn't talk about length of pit of follow-up, but I keep them short. I keep them shorter than the initial. I guess that's all there is to say about that. Mm -hmm. But anyways, besides that, really quick, I just want to call out a couple of trite phrases that people should just stop using in follow-ups. And I'm sure they were great at one point, but they're not anymore. This is just anecdotally from Twitter and from previous uh, interviews. Don't say circle back up or whatever people say. Circle up. Circle Um, back. Circle back. Don't say circle back. Circle up could be a new way to use it. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. Use circle up instead of circle back. Just kidding. Don't use the word circle. Don't use any shapes when... (laughs) when following up no shapes and uh secondly don't ask if they saw the email that's so lame did you see my email you can assume they didn't have time to like review it but please don't ask we've gotten enough evidence out there to show that email or that emails that journalists actually do try to read most emails they receive and enough people on twitter have complained about this that just stop using that phrase it's annoying as hell (laughs) and i think that's it i think that's literally it. i think if you just you could avoid that doing that easily by thinking as we recommended throughout this episode how can i add value you're not adding value by asking, um, have you seen my previous email or simply saying, just checking in. Neither of those things add value. They add annoyance. Yeah. So it's counterproductive. Yeah. Just keep that in mind. And yeah, hopefully this episode was helpful and we've given you guys some new ideas, ways to spark up or jazz up your your own follow-up strategy. We're such nerds. I feel like... (laughs) I know we are. (laughs) We're like, we love follow-ups. I feel like some PRs probably don't care about this topic. But if you do, you're welcome. This is a great episode. It's one of my favorites. I already know. Also, I think it's important, too, to learn from one another. So if there's something that we didn't share, uh, Mm. feel free to email us, podcast at Media. Share your tips. We Maybe we'll have you on the show to talk about them. We're looking for a new yes. guests as we speak. So if you have a cool follow-up strategy, please share. Mm. And then one last thing on your point, Britt, if you also just have a random topic you want to talk about on the show, we would love to have our platform be utilized for good in the industry. So if you're a publicist with a fun idea, please reach out. Thanks for listening. Ta-ta for now. <laughs>